0: Journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adel Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shalom, shalom, and a beautiful good afternoon. I'm Adel Kazilski and I'm with you for the next 45 minutes, and we are traipsing through the Bible at a very exciting point. We are with Joseph as he reunites with his brothers. We spoke a lot about the reunification last week. And um, we are going to continue on that storyline. Love you to join the conversation. 34519 is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. Right. We finished up on chapter 45, verse 13. We are now going to continue on the storyline. What happened was was that Joseph said, I am Joseph, your brother. Um, Don't despair. Everything that happened to me happened because God willed it, and I am here to take care of you now. Please go back and fetch um, our father and um, all your family and come to Egypt, and you can um, settle down in Egypt with me. Right, verse 14 reads, He fell then on his brother Benjamin's neck, and he wept. Benjamin also wept on the neck of Yosef. So very interesting because again, as always, I emphasise that we, when, you are, when we are learning the Bible, we should be learning it in uh, inside. We should be learning it in the original Hebrew because it is in the Hebrew where we pick up a whole lot of nuances. So, if you look at the first at the third word of this verse, verse fourteen, that he he wept. On the, um, the, the neck of Binyamin, Yosef Tzabareh is in the plural. So if we are to go and read it in its, uh, in its correct form, in its literal form, we will read it that he fell on the necks of Binyamin, the plural of Binyamin. Why does the Torah say so? Because it says that with prophetic inspiration, Joseph saw that the holy temples, the Batei Mikdash that were to be built in Binyamin's portion would be um, destroyed twice. As we know, on Tisha B'Av, we cry over the destruction of both temples. So he saw that, and that's why there is that plural. And similarly, when Binyamin was crying, he saw the tabernacle, which was the roving temple that they had made in the desert and brought with them into the land of Israel. And then eventually all its contents were put into the holy temple that stood in Jerusalem. But Benjamin saw that the tabernacle, the Mishkan in Shiloh, was destined to stand in Joseph's portion and that it too would be destroyed. But he did not weep for the tabernacle itself because he knew that the Mishkan itself was only a temporary building. Okay, It was only holding the Ark until the Holy Temple was built in Jerusalem. But he wept for the many, many people who would be killed during the destruction of the Temple. So basically what we see over here is that Yosef and Benjamin were both weeping for the future, because they understood and they knew that they had come to Egypt to fulfill God's decree to Abraham, which was made at the Brit Bain the pact between the halves. And they therefore were aware of all the all the future exiles that would befall Israel. They also knew. They also knew that the Kodesh Kodesh in the Holy of Holies in the Holy Temple would be built in Binyamin's portion in the Holy Land. And he was, why was, why did he have that schut? Why did he have that merit? Because he had no part in the selling of Joseph. And that's why God put it in there. Um, now the joy of Joseph and Binyamin Joseph and Benjamin coming together was so great um, that they actually could have died, says the Midrash, of the ecstasy of getting together. So to temper down that 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 unbridled joy, they were shown the destruction of the Holy Temple, and that is why, ladies and gentlemen, my dear listeners, is why we smash a glass. Um, when we are saying the Sheva Brachot at a wedding to make the people assembled at the wedding to experience some sadness. Just like Yosef and Binyamin cried, um, because even though they were ecstatically happy to be back with each other and they were crying from joy, that is, um, that God showed them destruction in order to temper that joy a little bit. And this is why it also says, um, that he fell on the neck of Binyamin. Why didn't he say he fell on the shoulder? He fell on his arm. He embraced him. Why is he using the neck? Because in Shir Shirim, in the, in Song of Songs, in chapter seven, verse five, um, there's a verse that reads, your neck is like an ivory tower. Why? Because the neck is, the holy temple is called a neck. Meaning that as long as the temple stood, Israel was prosperous; it was at ease, and it could walk like, uh, like with, a, with an erect head um, and a straight neck. When the temple was destroyed, that's when the Jewish people became degraded and persecuted, and the necks of the Jews then became bent um, because they could no longer raise their heads amongst the nations. So that's another reason why we use. Um, the analogy of a neck. The temple is also likened to the neck for another reason, and that is because, unlike other parts of the body, if the neck is cut, obviously a person can die, because the neck is the human being's lifeline. And similarly, the temple is the life channel of 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 uh, of, of Israel. Okay, um, it gave us our lives, and without it. We feel as if we had died. And how did we know that? Because, and I guess it was particularly true um, when the temple stood, because if a person s- sinned inadvertently, right, what would he do? He would go and he would offer a sacrifice and he would he'd, he'd gain atonement. And, so, and I'll say, just say, um, tell us that in the time of the temple, nobody in Jerusalem went to sleep with an unatoned sin. We had two daily offerings every day in the temple called the, the Korban Tamid, one in the morning and one in the evening. And the morning uh, sacrifice would atone for sins committed during the night. And then in the afternoon, in the early evening, that would atone for sins committed during the day. So people would would therefore be pure. They would be pure. They would be cleansed of sin. And today, unfortunately, we don't have any... um any anything to atone for us, and therefore we we still have uh, the concept of Tisha B'Av, and for us mourning that which we have lost. Well, I think we've lost actually the concept of um, of 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 a temple and what blessing um, and atonement it brought to the world. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, welcome back and we are going to now look at verse, uh, 15 of chapter 45. Once, uh, Yosef and Benjamin have come together, <speaking in Hebrew> he also kissed all his brothers, Joseph kissed all his brothers and he wept on them, uh, wept on them, <speaking in Hebrew> and after that, And his brothers spoke to him. Now, remember, all this time, his brothers didn't have the audacity to open up their mouths and say a word. We went through it last week. Either they were dumbfounded or they wanted to run away or or that they scared, they were scared that it was another uh, setup. But after they saw all of this, and and of course they were ashamed, but after they saw all of this, uh, Joseph rose up, he kissed them, he, you know, weeping out of joy and love. Um, and that is really what happened with them. Joseph, though, says the Midrash was crying for another reason. And we've spoken about this before on the show, um, and I'm happy for you to ask any questions or post-comment on this. 34519 is our SMS line, 0618951019, our telegram number. But Joseph saw... That his brothers, we saw through prophetic inspiration that his brothers were going to be reincarnated. Um, and they were, all ten of them were going to be reincarnated um, because of their sin of selling him as a slave. And they would become the ten martyrs. Now, who are the ten martyrs? These were um, great rabbis. In biblical times, the most famous be, one of them, one of the most famous being Rabbi Akiva and as you know, during the Roman occupation, they were martyred um, because they went out on a limb to, to teach Torah and continued to, to be connected to Torah, despite the, the Roman decree that you weren't allowed to be affiliated in any way whatsoever with Judaism. And they, they, they went to horrible deaths. And in fact, one of the pieces of liturgy that we read on Yom Kippur that, uh, that it, it, it's there to, to encourage us to do chuvah is when we, we read about the ten martyrs, okay? And so he was crying on his brother's shoulders, okay, um, that one day they will come, they will, they will come um, back into this world and they will um, suffer greatly because of what they did to Yosef. And where does the Midrash actually learn this? If you look at the word Vayafq alehim," he cried Alehim, which is like he cried on them. And if you look at the word Alehim in the original, you will see that normally Alehim is spelt with a yud, Aleph Lamud Yud. Um hey mem, the yud is missing. Yud is um has a value of ten. And it alludes to the ten martyrs who would be who, who would be killed because of what the brothers had done. Quite fascinating, and again, an emphasis as to why you have to read this in its original Hebrew. Right, verse 16: Vehakol Nishma Beit Paroi, lemor Bau achei Yosef. Abadab. The news arrived in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had arrived and Paroi and his servants were pleased. Now, why would Paroi be pleased? Because he had assumed that Yosef was some nameless somebody or good for nothing who had been sold as a slave. And it, it was, in a sense, a great humiliation for the Egyptians to give such authority to someone who, who was a stranger, a foreigner, a slave. But now when F- Paroi, when Pharaoh saw that Joseph had such important brothers who had come from such a great family like Avraham, because obviously Avraham's fame had spread all over the civilized world, um, Pharaoh and his advisers felt vindicated. They, they, they were very, very happy at the news. By yome Paro el-Yosef. Paroi says to Yosef, Emor el Achecha, please say this to your brothers: Zot asu tanu et tanu et neirchem ulchu bo'u arza Knan. Tell your brothers this is what they must do: they must load up their animals and they must go directly towards the land of Knan. Ukhu et avichem and they should take your father ve and their households. Uva'u elai and they should come to me and I will give to them of the good of the fat of the land of Mitzrayim, of Egypt and they will eat of the fat of the land so can you now go and order the following um um, so you should take these wagons from the land of Egypt for the small children and the wives and use them to carry your father and come. And don't worry, um, don't be concerned um, about your belongings. Kituv kol Eretz Mitzrayim lachem who? Because all that is of Egypt will belong will belong to you. the best of Egypt is yours. So now, what is Paro doing to himself now that he discovered that Joseph was the great grandson of Abraham, and since he had such a great family, Pharaoh was worried that he would go home. He would say, "Okay, I've been reunited. Sorry, China. You know, um, like this was grand." had a wonderful time here, but my obligations is with my brothers. Um, and he was worried that he would leave Egypt without anybody to run the government. And Paroi knew that Joseph, only Yosef Joseph could run things the way he did. And so therefore he was quite adamant in ensuring that Yosef actually brought his family down to Egypt and that the vice versa would not happen. So he wanted not to see Aliyah, That him going back to the land of Egypt. He wanted, in fact, to see and ensure that they would come down. And that's why he says you are commanded to do the following. Why? So he, he basically was saying, Paroi, that um, you have a commandment to honor your father, to bring your wife and your children, so take these wagons and go. Now, what is so special about these wagons? Why did he just not say, go and come back? Like, why do we have to specifically know and understand that he was sending wagons? Well, the Midrash tells us that in those days, wagons and chariots were only permitted to be used by kings and in a time of war, meaning that nobody else could use them without special royal permission. And therefore... Pyroy had to give special instructions that they take the wagons. Okay. Um, also he was worried that now they have to go back and then they're gonna have to start, you know, packing a lift. <laughs> it's that's gonna take like so long, could take six months for them to start packing up and, and making arrangements. Anybody, you know, who has moved country knows that it's not something that you can do in a day. Correct. Um, So, what he was saying was that don't even worry about what you're going to leave behind. Like, kind of like, don't faff about things. Um, You know, don't sit there and try to sell household goods um, and wait for a good price. You don't need it. Why? Because all that is the best in Egypt is yours. Little did he know the significance of what he was saying, because at the end of their long exile in Egypt, the children of Israel will go out with the best of everything in the land. And that would be in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that you will leave that afterwards they will leave in great wealth. Go back to chapter fifteen of Genesis over there. So um Joseph went, and you will see now in verse 21, he immediately uh, transmits Pharaoh's words to his brother. For Yisuchen bnei Israel, they did um, as follows: By yiten lahem Yosef agalot, Yosef gave them wagons al pi paroy according to parav yiten lahem seid aladerech. He also gave them food for the way. Okay, now, why does it specifically say that Pharaoh gave Yosef wagons, and then Yosef gave them to his brothers? Well, what happens again, says the Midrash, that the wagons that Pharaoh gave Yosef were inappropriate. Why? Because they had images of idolatrous deities inscribed on the wagons, and when Yehuda who was the leader of the brothers saw this he said we can't take we can't take these wagons and he told Yosef and Yosef said okay don't worry and he provided them with other wagons and in addition and, and we are told um, that he would um, give them he, he gave them six six wagons and in addition he gave them provisions for on the way and also, in addition to giving them the wagons, Yosef gave them each changes of clothing. He also gave, Kesef, he also gave to Benjamin 300 pieces of silver. He gave him five changes of clothing. Again, Let's unbundle this because we can only rely on the oral Torah, on the Midrash. Okay, um, as to 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 why he gave him all these things. Well, let's talk about firstly why he gave Benjamin specifically three hundred talents of silver or three hundred silver sellers. Okay. So we know that when Joseph hid his goblet into in, in Benjamin's bag, he tormented him. What did he say? He said, The one in whose hand the goblet will be found shall be my slave. Now, according to Halakha, according to Torah law, when a Jew sells his slave to a Gentile, he is fined ten times. The, the slave's value. Now the value of a slave, according to the Torah, is 30 sellers. Okay? And that's why now he was giving Benjamin 10 times that amount, 300 sellers, because what he was trying to do was he was trying to make reparation for the fact that he had pushed Benjamin into a corner that he was in fact a slave. So um, when he paid up the three hundred sellers, he gave the money to Benjamin because Benjamin, okay, didn't didn't uh, was was excluded now from being a slave. There's another reason. The other reason is that Yosef had spoken Losh and Hora. He had slandered his brothers in three different ways as we just Described earlier, and the penalty for Loshen Horror is a hundred sellers. Because he spoke three times Loshen Horror, um, he gave Benjamin three hundred sellers. So there was an absolute full-on reason as to why, um, he gave them that money. Now, why did he clothe, clothe his brothers. Why did he give them changes of clothing? Well, the first thing is that they, um, they, if you recall, when they when they sold Joseph, they had stripped him bare when they threw him into the pit. Now you see Joseph giving them new suits, and this was to demonstrate that he no longer bore any of them a grudge. That look at, look, look at you. You, when you sold me, you, 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 you sold me naked. Like he, he landed up in his underwear. He had absolutely nothing to his name. That was the cruelty of the brothers. To show the brothers that he himself had, you know, held no grudge and, um, he had completely forgiven him, he did the equal but opposite in a much greater way. He clothed them. Another reason was that he had accused them, remember when he accused them of stealing the goblet and the goblet was found in Benjamin's pack, we, we read in verse 23 of chapter, uh, verse 13 of chapter 44 that they had what? Torn their clothes in grief. Now because Yosef was the cause, he wished to repay the, the damages of them now walking around with Torn clothes, that were walking around As if they were mourners Okay And that's, if you look at the words um, Literally it says Khalifot, smalot Which means that there were Two types of clothes um, From head to toe One was for Shabbat And one was for Festivals, because one Must have special clothes For Shabbos and festivals you could think over here, and it says that he gave his brother, Benjamin five um, sets of clothes. Um, you could argue, why, do, why would he do that? Like, this is like him doing exactly what Yaakov did to him, and that had precipitated this entire thing, i.e., how did Joseph land up being a slave? And being 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 thrown into the pit because his brothers were jealous. Why were his brothers jealous? Because what his father had given him a coat um, of many colours. So the Torah does pick up on why did he give um, Benjamin five coats? So it says that he, the five suits were of no more value than the ones that he had given his brothers. The reason why he though gave him five garments. It was a symbol of one of Binyamin's descendants. Who was a descendant of Binyamin that would wear five garments? Well, none other than many, 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 many years later in the story of Purim. Mordecai was a descendant of Ben Yamin, and we know in the book of Esther um, that that Mordechai became a great ruler, and he wore five garments. If you go and look at chapter eight um, of the book of Esther, verse fifteen, when he walked out, it said he walked came forth from the king's presence in royal apparel of blue. That's one garment. White, second, great a great. Uh, a great gold crown, that's three, a robe of fine linen that's four, and purple, that's five. So he actually gave, again, prophetically, um, five clothes, five, five, five different clothes, to Binyamin, because that was the prophecy of seeing uh, um, seeing Mordechai walking out dressed in royal regalia. I F M one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. Okay, and then we are going to continue now with verse twenty-three, Veula Aviv, and to his father. What did Joseph say? Shlach kazoys asarach hamorim noisim mitub mitrayim veeser atonot noisot bar velechem umazon laaviv ladarech. Joseph sends to his father ten male donkeys loaded with the best of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread and food. So what does it mean, the best produce of Egypt? Again, the Midrash tells us that included old wine and Egyptians, Egyptian beans. Apparently the Egyptian bean is not, was not found anyplace else and it was a tasty, nourishing vegetable. And old wine, we're told, is good for the elderly, since it acts as a gentle tranquilizer. And then when he sent the female donkeys loaded with grain and bread, we're told this included rice and um, other kinds of vegetables, as well as figs, dates, and raisins, because these are all in, called in the Hebrew terminology mazoin. Now, one of the other things that Joseph sent... Um, his father was the royal robes that he wore when he was installed as Viceroy of Egypt, and he had paraded through the streets of the capital, as you can just well imagine. These were extremely valuable garments. Um, it's, it's really, really interesting how much people will pay um, just to own garments that were worn at momentous occasions and probably at that, at that point in history, that was probably unbelievably valuable. Yosef sent um, those garments to his father. He didn't leave it at that to each of his brother's children. Yosef sent a garment and a hundred pieces of silver. He also sent his brother's wives dresses, gowns, jewelry, and precious stones. And he also gave each of his brother, brother's ten servants, to see to their needs, to bring them to Canaan and to return with them, and to his sister Dina. Yosef sent gowns that were spun of silver and gold, priceless pearls and the finest perfumes. And we are also told in the Midrash that um, the woman of the palace also sent precious stones to the brother's wives. So you can see how there was no valuable gift that Yosef did not send to his nieces, to his nephews, to his sister-in-laws, and to his sister Dina. So kind of like when we go away um, and we're going overseas, we want to bring the best from wherever we're coming to our family, Ditto over here. Verse 24, by mm-hmm. Yishlach So he sent his brothers on his way by and they went by Alehim, and he said to them a piece of advice, Al Tirgzu don't get agitated along the way. And uh, the Midrash asks, what does it mean don't get agitated along the way? We are told that Yosef gave uh, four pieces of advice. Firstly, he told them that they shouldn't have a fight. They shouldn't quarrel along the way. He could see how ashamed his brothers were of selling him, and he was afraid that each one would accuse the others, like it was all your fault for becoming so angry Look when Joseph said, Bad things about us to our father and that they, they would have started an entire fight again. So don't be agitated along the way was a, a thing of don't, don't, don't fight. Don't fight. Don't, don't bring up the past. The second piece of advice was don't travel too fast and don't take too large a step. Um, it says um, in the Torah that if you take, you, you travel too quickly, you can lose your visual acuity and you know, they they had a lot of good news so they certainly would have wanted to rush home to inform their father as soon as possible joseph told them to take it easy and to to walk slowly also he said don't agitate yourself by debating difficult points of torah you know as Jews we get together we can argue about absolutely everything and anything and he didn't want to them to start getting completely engrossed in stuff and having arguments about stuff. And also, he didn't want them to be agitated, meaning that that they should travel with sense. Uh, Said Joseph, when you enter a city along the way, make sure you arrive before sunset and when you leave, wait until sunrise. Um, You should not enter or leave a strange city by night since this can be harmful to you. So make sure that you both enter and leave during daylight since we know That it says in the Torah, that God saw light, it was good. Now, one other very interesting thing that I didn't mention before in Joseph giving them his wagons was he made a play on the word for wagon. A wagon in Hebrew is an agala. And um, this was a hint to... His father that he was truly alive. Why? Because Joseph would learn Torah from Yaakov and they were busy learning the law of the Egla Arufa. That is a cow that had its neck broken in atonement for an unsolved murder. Let me quickly explain. If there was city A and say uh, quite a distance um, after city A there was city B and a wayfarer left city A and in between city A and city B um, he got killed he died okay um, then whose responsibility would it be for the burial and who would take responsibility so to speak for the safety of of the person well city A could go and say well it was not me because he's way to you know he was closer to city b and city b would go and say no 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 he was only halfway from city a so in order to teach responsibility um both uh community members of both cities would come together ensure the respectful um <clears throat> burial of the person and they would bring an egla Arufa, they would bring a a cow whose neck was broken to the temple as an atonement to say, we are responsible. We are responsible for, for this person, um, dying in a, 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 a in, in a wrong place. So, Egla Arufa has the same letters as Agalot. And this again was a hint to, uh, to his father that he would in fact remember what 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 they were learning before they uh they, they they parted. Right, we are going to go just for a wee but but break, and we are going to finish up chapter twenty-five and learn what happened when they came back to the land of Canaan. This is one hundred one point nine FM. FM one hundred and one point nine megahertz of life. Right, we have three minutes to finish up three verses. They come up, they come up from Egypt and they come to the land of Canaan. Now, understand, as we've said before, just as Joseph didn't break the news to them outright, he went and pretended, as, as you remember me telling you, that he went, Joseph, Joseph, where are you, where are you, just to try calm the shock, they too now had to worry about telling their father that Joseph was alive. That would have been unbelievably shocking news. And they were deliberating this um, this point of how they would be able to tell their father when one of the daughters of Asher, the brother Asher, his daughter, her name was Serach, she came by and they knew her to be a very um, extremely intelligent girl. And after they greeted her, they said, we've come up with a good idea. And we have an important favor to ask of you She was a singer They said, take your harp And go sing a song to Father And in the middle of the song, mix the words Joseph is alive, he's the ruler of all the land of Egypt Like, don't make it outright Don't pronounce the words outright and clearly Just let them be swallowed up in the song And do it so that Father will not realize What you are saying until you've sung it many times And just keep on repeating those words and so she agreed, and off she went to go and sing to her grandfather and prepare him for that. In the meantime, the brothers did one important thing, and that was they annulled the oath. Remember, they made an oath that anybody who spoke about how they saw Joseph would be excommunicated. They sat down now annulled that oath so they'd be able to tell Yaakov that Joseph was still alive. So there you go. Sarah is playing her this haunting melody, Um and the brothers appear before Yosef and they say and before Yaakov apologies, um, and when Yaakov looks up he sees the brothers coming and they're all dressed magnificently. He knew there was something happening. But Lemor, and they said to him, Od Yosef, hi, um, our brother is Yosef is still alive, he Moshe Eretz he is the ruler over the land of Egypt. And even with all of that, he didn't believe him. He became faint. Listen, it was 22 years that had passed. He assumed that Joseph was dead. Um, he got really nervous. They related to him all the words that Joseph had spoken to him. And then he saw the wagons. That Joseph had sent to fetch him. But the spirit of their father was alive. And here it is, he saw the agalot and he understood that Joseph was saying to him, Father, do you remember when we learned about the mitzvah of Egla Arufa? Also, what happened when it says the spirit of their father like was revived? For twenty-two years he did not manage to feel the divine presence, experience the divine presence because he was mourning Joseph. Um, because when one is sad or depressed, one cannot experience prophetic experience, and that came that 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 came back to him. By and uh, Yaakov says, "Rav od Yosef ben this is all too much. That my son Yosef is alive. Elcha mamut, I must go, and I must see him before he dies." And we are told that Yaakov um, blessed serah that's his granddaughter, and he said to her, you brought my heart back to life with your good news and your beautiful melody. May you live forever and never die. And his blessing indeed did come true, for serah was one of the individuals um, who entered Gun Eden alive, just like Eliyahu Navi. She entered Gun Eden alive. What a lovely, lovely, happy Um, conclusion to a very tumultuous and uh, heart-wrenching story. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and I will be back next week, where we will start now seeing how, in fact, the Jewish people descend into the land of Egypt. But until then, have a great week ahead, Shavuot Tov, and uh, enjoy yourselves.